Introducing the Magnavox Movie Maker. Wow! Now I can make movies! Just insert a tape, turn it on, and press record. Yes! I got the shot! Experience your movies as a treasured memory that exists forever. Forever. Magnavox. Smart choice. Very smart. Hello, my devilish divers. Welcome to the final edition of Halloween Horror Month 2023 here at the Deep Dive Podcast. I'm Tom Feeney, writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine, available at Amazon.com. Halloween Horror Month is a tradition here in Studio D, one that we take very seriously. We've been at it since 2019 in the before times. And for the entire month of October, we've been looking at four different subgenres of horror movies and pick some of the more interesting offerings available on your local streaming services. This week, the Deep Dive Podcast dives into a fascinating facet of the motion picture industry, the shot-on-video horror movie. Okay, so before we get into the movies themselves, let's kind of define our terms. The shot-on-video movie, or SOV as I will call it from here on out, is is basically what it sounds like. A feature-length movie that was shot using video cameras instead of film. Now these days, that's not such a big deal now that we all have a pretty powerful video camera in our pockets. The current iPhone 15 Pro, for example, can record at 4K resolution at up to 60 frames per second. And that actually surpasses the resolution needed for a feature film. So why don't directors just use iPhones or some similar camera instead of professional ones costing as much as $50,000? Well, it's all about the optics, really. While your favorite phone of choice has a digital zoom feature, uh, it's not that great. Cinema-grade cameras can utilize a vast array of optical lenses to achieve all kinds of effects that the camera in your phone simply cannot. And there are other differences, of course, but you get the idea. So these days, just about anyone with the ambitions to make their own movie has access to the tools to do just that. Of course, the old adage applies. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Keep that in mind, because it applies heavily here. All right, it's time for another history lesson, students. Way, way back in what was called the 20th century, the ability for your 
average Joe or Jane to make their own movie was severely limited. It wasn't until the mid-1960s when the Super 8 film camera was introduced. Utilizing the 8mm film format, the Super 8 camera became the tool of choice for amateur filmmakers, including a young Steven Spielberg. Home movies are getting better than ever with the new GAF Super 8 movie cameras. They've got professional features like through-the-lens viewing zoom lenses and through-the-lens automatic exposure meters. They let you do things professionals do without all the work professionals do. Even though they were used mostly by educational institutions and companies, the Super 8 cameras were priced so that middle-class Americans could afford the cameras as well. And thus, the home movie was born. Many garages, including my own, have small metal boxes containing 8mm films of vacations, birthday parties, graduations, weddings, etc. Now, while certainly much easier to use than previous methods, the Super 8 cameras were not without their drawbacks. Preparing the camera involved carefully threading the film to avoid accidental exposure. And once the footage was shot, the next steps included rewinding it within the camera, replacing it with a protective canister, and dispatching it for processing. Once the film was developed, you would then load it onto your projector reels using the gears and the pulleys of your projector to view the final product. And it's worth noting that without a reliable projector, the film might be at risk of tearing or even melting. So there was significant potential for unexpected mishaps. Interestingly, the very first so-called portable home video system was introduced around the same time as the Super 8 camera. A pioneering company in the field of videotape and recording, Ampex, released a system that cost around $30,000 in mid-1960s money. That's over $300,000 adjusted for inflation. So not exactly meant for households on a budget. It wouldn't be until the early 1980s that the camcorder would be available for consumers. A decent setup at the time would set you back around $2,000, a far cry from what came before. These camcorders were pretty much simpler to operate and recorded video directly onto a cassette tape so you could play it back right away. No film processing necessary. The camcorder became the hot consumer item during the 1980s and allowed the average American a new creative outlet. Panasonic introduces a new lightweight video system that's so automatic, it works by itself. The Panasonic video camera focuses by itself, adjusts for changing light by itself, even works in extreme low light all by itself. This Panasonic VHS recorder connects almost by itself and plays back a jitter-free picture in slow motion and stop motion. 
put in a pre-recorded movie. And this Panasonic gives you hi-fi sound through your stereo. Sound so far superior to ordinary TV, it stands out by itself. Panasonic Video Systems, just slightly ahead of our time. With this new technology being both available and affordable to millions, it stands to reason that some enterprising individuals would seek to do more with the camcorder than just videotaping special occasions and family outings. But could someone actually make a feature film using a consumer-grade camcorder? It didn't take long to get the answer. I give you the 1982 cult classic boarding house. Blue Star presents Boarding House. On September 18, 1972, the Hoffman House was closed due to several mysterious deaths. On September 18, 1982. The house was reopened as a boarding house. And the body count continues. Something else will. <laughs> Boarding house rated R. No one under 17 admitted without parent or guardian. In Horrorvision, a Coast Films release. The very first SOV horror movie that was transferred to 35mm film, Boarding House revolves around the ominous occurrences at a seemingly ordinary boarding house that turns out to be anything but. The story begins when a young man inherits a large old house from his estranged father. He decides to convert it into a boarding house, hoping to make it a cozy and welcoming residence for several tenants. However, the house hides a dark and malevolent secret. The house was the site of multiple gruesome murders in the past, and its eerie history continues to haunt its present. As the residents settle into their new living quarters, strange and horrifying events begin to unfold. Supernatural forces take control of the house, and the tenants find themselves tormented by disturbing visions, violent nightmares, and sinister paranormal activity. The house itself seems to come alive, shifting and distorting reality in terrifying ways. Each tenant becomes a potential victim and they must confront their deepest fears and the evil that resides within the boarding house. The film delves into a surreal and bizarre nightmare as the tenants attempt to uncover the truth behind the house's dark history and escape the forces that threaten their lives. 
Oh, oh, uh, I forgot. It was supposed to be a comedy. Yeah, yeah, more on that in a minute. Boarding House was written and directed by John Wintergate, who also stars in the movie. The budget for Boarding House was only $10,000, and most of that budget was spent transferring the video to film. Now, the filmmaker's original intent was to make a comedy-slash-horror film. Get it? Slash? Nah. But in order to get the film distributed into theaters, there had to be some changes. All the comedy scenes were to be cut since the distributor wanted a straight-up horror movie, not a comedy. However, since the tone of the entire film was meant to be somewhat comedic, the resulting product has a weird, uneven feel to it. And ironically, it's that strange vibe that ultimately gave Boarding House its status as a quirky, oddball cult film. And then, the analog floodgates burst wide open. Suddenly, anyone with a video camera and an idea could, and did, try their hand at making a movie. And as you can imagine, the results were and this is putting it kindly, mixed. For some amateur filmmakers, making your movie via videotape was a potential gateway to Hollywood. For others, it was just a fun, creative outlet to share with friends. Now, beginning in the 1980s, there have been hundreds of these movies released on home video, many without an official distributor. One of the more noteworthy and Notorious pioneers of the SOV horror movie is a man named Chester Novell Turner. Although Turner only made two films, both of them during the 1980s, he made quite a name for himself in the realm of the no-budget analog movie. In fact, Turner checks off even more genre boxes than you might think. His first movie, released, and I use that word delicately, in 1984, was not only shot on video, not only micro-budgeted, not only horror, but also black exploitation. I humbly present to you Black Devil Doll from Hell. Black Devil Doll. Meet a convicted killer on death row. We are just moments away from the state-ordered execution of 1960s black militant radical Mubia Abu-Jamal. A lonely gal with a Ouija board. Is anyone out there? Fate brings them together. Soul trapped in a motherfucking puppet. This serial rapist is getting a second chance at life and love. But that was no fun. So while his gal goes out for some fries, her friends start dropping like flies. Oh, black devil dog. The saying goes, once you go black, you can never go back. But once you go black puppet, nothing can trump it. This doll don't take no shit. See black devil doll. Okay, so I can't even begin to describe what is happening in this movie. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Watching it is kind of like going to your middle school kid's art show. 
Yeah, 99% is objectively amateurish and crude, but you can't help but appreciate the time, effort, and creativity on display. The film follows the story of a devout Christian woman named Helen, who purchases a cursed ventriloquist doll that was meant to look like, and does look like, funk legend Rick James. The doll becomes possessed by a malevolent spirit, you know, like, like Chucky. The possessed doll begins to torment and, yes, even seduce Helen, leading to a series of increasingly disturbing and violent events. And that is putting it as mildly as I can on a podcast that is meant for all ages. <clears throat> now, Black Devil Doll from Hell is known for its amateurish production values, including bad acting, low-quality cinematography, a soundtrack made on a cheap Casio keyboard, and a paper-thin plot. But once again, Turner had a vision, used ten grand of his own money, and made a movie. Uh, it had a very limited release on VHS cassette from Hole in the Wall Distributor, who re-edited the film against Turner's wishes. One reviewer was quoted as saying, I can't imagine an uglier, more unbelievably inept piece of rot gut. Difficult to endure, impossible to forget, and loads of fun to discuss afterwards. Yeah, that about says it all. But did that deter Mr. Turner from giving it another go? Oh, oh absolutely not. A few years later, Turner crafted his magnum opus, a horror anthology with the inexplicable title, Tales from the Quaded Zone. Hey everybody, uh, Tom here. Now, this is normally the part where I play a clip or trailer from the movie I'm discussing. When it came time to do just that, I couldn't. I don't have the emotional bandwidth to go back to this movie and try to put something together. So I'm just going to leave it as is and get back to the rest of the podcast. Thank you for understanding. If you think this movie is just more amateur hour antics from the same director, oh, you are absolutely right. The film consists of three short stories. In the first story, Food For, a young woman is driven to madness by her abusive family, leading her to seek revenge in a grotesque and shocking manner. The second story, The Brother, centers on a mentally challenged man who becomes obsessed with his sister and her fiance with tragic consequences. And finally, in the third story, The Love Slaves of the Amazon, a woman recounts her experiences on a perilous journey through the Amazon jungle, encountering dangerous creatures and tribal rituals. Now, just like with Black Devil Doll from Hell, the film is infamous for what it lacks. Everything. Tales from the Quaded Zone, and nobody has been able to explain to me what Quaded means, has gained some notoriety for its unintentional humor and bizarre storytelling. It has not only become a cult classic, 
but a kind of holy grail for VHS tape collectors. In fact, a decade ago, Time Magazine published an article about those who are avid collectors of vintage video cassettes. And the one that garnered the most interest and the most money is Tales from the Quadhead Zone. It's been speculated that only about 100 VHS copies were made, which makes it extremely rare. And in 2011, an original copy fetched almost $700 on eBay. And a quick look online, and copies are still going for hundreds of dollars. Now, director Chester Turner is still kicking around and seems truly befuddled by the recent interest in his movies. So, will there be a return to the quad-ed zone in the future? Oh, the possibilities are mind-boggling. But all this is only scratching the surface, or rather scraping the bottom of the barrel, when it comes to SOV horror. Of the hundreds of titles that qualify, here are a few noteworthy entries. First, and quite possibly least, of these is Las Vegas Bloodbath. <sighs> okay, the plot, such as it is, involves a business bro named Sam who catches his pregnant wife cheating on him. He, of course, kills them both and then proceeds to go on the most disgustingly misogynistic killing spree imaginable. This is poorly made in every possible way. There's bad acting, bad directing, and gore effects that are at the same time horribly bad, and yet still stomach-turning. I'm not even going to name the writer and director because this, and I use the term very loosely, film, feels like it has an agenda, a nasty, hate-filled agenda. It's as though someone is trying to exercise their personal demons, or maybe even trying to conjure up real ones. Avoid at all costs. I wish I had. It is on YouTube right now. Do with that information as you will. That's all I got. Oh, I need a break. Happy Halloween! I'm Duffy the Pumpkin, the fresh ice cream cake made daily at Carvel. And here's my good friend, Ricky the Witch. Are you having a Halloween party? Go to your participating Carvel ice cream store and ask to see us, Duffy the Pumpkin and me, Ricky the Witch. Or if you want to send one of us to a friend... Please phone 800-327-GIFT and call a cake honors most major credit cards. Thank you. This Halloween, Blockbuster Video has a special treat for your whole family. You can take home any of these great Halloween classics for just $7.99. Or rent two movies and get them for $3.99. Now, if that's not a reason to scream, what is? Make it a Blockbuster fright. Okay, we got the nastiness out of the way. Let's move to an SOV movie that is actually <gasps> kind of good. It's the 1993 killer drug movie, Ozone. First, let's set the stage. It's the 1990s. The abuse of crack cocaine in the United States has hit a dangerous peak. A cheap, easy-to-produce crystallized form of cocaine, crack became the drug of choice for millions, 
driving up crime rates across the nation. The drug became a hot-button topic for politicians, talk show hosts, and of course, the entertainment industry. Movies like New Jack City, Deep Cover, and Clockers told powerful stories about the inner-city epidemic of crime and drugs. And then, there's ozone. There's a new drug on the streets, more addictive than crack. This stuff will blow your mind. More dangerous than heroin, and it will steal your soul, one fix at a time. What about Mike? He's missing. He hasn't reported in. What are you talking about? Now, Detective Eddie Boone is on a mission. Listen, you better stay out of sight. They think Mike's dead. To find his missing partner. Who are you? My name is Justine. And to crack the biggest case of his career. Every time you get out on the street, you become dangerous. It's America's nightmare. Where are you off to in such a hurry, little man? We have reached the next level. Where the streets wage unholy war. Are you afraid, Eddie? What scares you, Eddie? They shot me full of that shitty salad. It turns men into slaves. Those people, they want people. And slaves into something less than human. Ozone. There's a new drug on the streets, and it's called ozone. It not only causes horrifying hallucinations, but also minor side effects like mutations, zombieism, and exploding organs. See a doctor if you experience any of these effects. Enter police officers Eddie Boone and Mike Weitz. They are on the case trying to put a stop to the distribution of the drug. But after Weitz goes missing, Boone is on the hunt. Slowing him down, however, is just a little matter of him having been just injected with ozone. Can Boone find his partner before the drug consumes him, both body and soul? Now, this may not sound much like a horror movie, but the insane visuals here make it so. Crazy stuff. Inventive and gruesome makeup effects. Oh, and there's more goo than a semi-truck full of marshmallow fluff. Director J.R. Bookwalter shot the movie on a higher-resolution format Super VHS, which made for a much better viewing experience than those made in the 1980s. And Ozone was made on a massive budget of, no joke, 3500 bucks. It is sure to give you the brain scramblies, if you care to give it a go. Right now, it's free on the ad-supported streaming platform. I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. Well, 1999's The Blair Witch Project popularized the so-called found footage movie. It was by no means the first. That distinction goes to my next SOV movie, a film that takes full advantage of the lo-fi analog video format to create a real sense of tension and dread. 
It's 1989's Alien Abduction, also known as The McPherson Tape. Oh, it's working. Forget it. Oh, you're gonna break your neck with that thing. I'm gonna break your neck. Holy shit, What the hell was that? Holy shit. What the hell is that? He's got him! You shot one of them dead. It's right outside there. Are you sure it's not back there? It's not back there. I just took a look in there. Get out. Taking place squarely during the early 80s obsession with video cameras, the movie takes place during a little girl's fifth birthday party. The family members notice strange lights in the sky and... Being curious, they grab their video camera to document the phenomena. What starts as an innocent attempt to capture unusual events in the night sky soon takes a dark turn. The family becomes the target of a series of terrifying and unexplained events, including alleged alien abductions, eerie noises, and inexplicable encounters with extraterrestrial beings. As their fear and panic escalate, they struggle to understand and survive the bizarre ordeal. Now, even more bizarre than that, many UFO enthusiasts were convinced that the tape was in fact a real account of an alien encounter. Now, of course, this was before the internet came along and ruined all that for us. But even with no plot, no script, and no budget, the McPherson tape manages to capture the immediacy of trying to make sense of a terrifying situation as it is happening. Interestingly, a decade later, the director remade the McPherson tape as a made-for-TV movie called Alien Abduction, Incident in Lake County. It had a bigger budget, real actors, and an actual script, and yet it simply wasn't as good as the original. Well, and there you have it. By no means comprehensive, these shot-on-video movies may not be of the finest quality, but it says a lot about the people who dared to use their own money and deal with limited resources to bring their dreams to life. And you certainly can't fault that. Oh, except for that Las Vegas bloodbath. Those people are sick. And thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, please check out our past episodes available on almost all podcast providers and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. If you like what you hear, write a review. We'd love to know what you think. So email us at thedeepdivepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website at thedeepdivepodcast.com. Links to all of our media can be found on our Instagram bio, which is simply the Deep Dive Podcast. That includes our awesome t-shirt store. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Halloween Horror Month is part of the Deep Dive Podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios.